Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the much anticipated return, episode 95 of A Play on Nerds. As always, I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman. And we're the two guys that are about to take you on this nerdy adventure. Episode 95. We are so close to 100, yet still so far. (laughs) Absolutely. Five away. Who knows how long that'll take? Maybe another year. Two. Maybe three. Let's see. We'll see how it happens. We'll see how it goes. And we have a new feature this week, uh, which wouldn't have been new if we hadn't lost episode. What is that feature, Steve? That's right. So this week we bring you uh, the second, but really the first recorded. As Jarman mentioned, we did this for the postman and something went technically wrong. And so you guys didn't get to hear it. So we're bringing it back. We're trying it again. And it's called To the Death where we have chosen, we're going to be choosing some of the worst movies that have ever been made. Right. Just ever. Just some of the worst, lowest rated, most panned movies ever. And one of us is going to have to defend that movie. And sometimes we'll actually be authentically defending it. Like we actually Yeah, like sometimes it. these are going to be movies because Jarman and I have really questionable taste in films. <laughs> uh, but sometimes we're going to be watching irre- just irredeemable crap. Right. Who knows what it could be. Uh, and I am so excited. So this week for the, I guess, inaugural, last one was a dry run. Right. Um, of To the Death, I am going to be defending Battlefield Earth. <laughs> the wonderful I, Scientology flick. I am so excited. <laughs> I am so excited. You have no idea. He actually likes this movie, folks, in earnest. <laughs> I think it really gets a bad rap. I really do. But we'll get into it later. <laughs> in the meantime, what have you been up to, Jarman? Well, it's uh, been uh, a lot of alone time. My, my girlfriend went to Japan with her buddies. <laughs> so she was in Japan for 10 days, and I was here at the house alone in my studio with the animals and just taking care of them, keeping the house clean and doing some voiceover work, uh, but really just kind of figuring out how to be working from home again. It's kind of like you got to get yourself into a groove, self-motivate. Because you're not driving to work, so there's no like set time schedules. But you gotta make a time schedule for yourself. So I'm figuring it out. Yeah, you're not. It's getting better and better. That's true. That's that's tough when you're when you gotta be stupid accountable. Exactly. You're no one's telling you what to do, so you have to tell yourself, and it's not always easy. <laughs> that's right. But yeah, so that's pretty much me. It's been that kind of time for me. What about you? Uh, well, since the last time we talked, uh, we went on vacation. Oh, that's right. We got pictures on a play on nerds. That's right. Uh, we went on an outdoor adventure, which is not normally our style here to play on nerds. Uh, but my parents rented a place out at Yosemite, and we went out and spent two days in the park, uh, one day down in Yosemite Valley, which is the whole thing's like a postcard. It looked beautiful. The entire thing is a postcard. It's incredible. If you ever get the chance to go check it out, you don't understand the sheer size, scope, and majesty until you're literally in the middle of it looking up at all of it. Do you guys drive out there? Uh, yeah, we rented a big van and drove out, and then um, our place was a 15-minute drive from the, the gate of Yosemite. Nice. It was killer. It's not bad at all. No, 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 it was great. Um, and we had a real good time. Got Mom and Dad got to see Joyce and see the little insane toddler she has turned into. <laughs> and, yeah, it was a good... I highly recommend it, though. Yosemite is just incredible. I'm not an outdoor cat. Me neither. But it was incredible. And I didn't get sunburned. That was the most amazing part. Because you wore a big hat. I wore a giant hat. I sunscreened up every time we stepped out of the van. <laughs> we did the same thing with Joyce. Uh, who uh, Our favorite part of there is there's all this just running water everywhere. And it's cold because it's coming off the mountain. So even when we were there and it was, you know, 92 or something like that, you could just walk down to, like, one of the creeks and just splash up some like you know 60 degree water Ooh, it was nice. incredible it was so cold and beautiful and crisp can't wait to go that's right that's right you actually went outdoors <laughs> that's right it happened once 
let us never speak of it again. No. Uh, <laughs> it was a lot cheaper uh, than Disney. That's true. It was a lot cheaper than Disney. Uh, all right. So I think that takes us into some nerdy news. Nerdy news. It's time for nerdy news. So my nerdy news is depressing for me, especially. Uh, you nerds out there might have heard about this happening just last night. We're recording right now on a Friday, Saturday. What day is it today? Friday. It's Friday, Friday. June fifteenth. Right. Now. Right. So right, and it happened late last night, early uh, this morning. Uh, Chris Hardwick, who is uh, an idol of mine, or has been, him and Felicia Day, when I was first starting my nerd journey, they're both these pioneers of like uh, nerd media. They kind of made their own YouTube channels and um, web content and podcasts, and they grew into them eventually getting bought out by Legendary Pictures separately for like $300 million deals. So they're extremely wealthy and successful. And you might know Chris Hardwick also for hosting Talking Dead and um, the after shows and at midnight. Uh, he is on the show called The Wall now on NBC. But his ex-girlfriend. He did a dating show on MTV with right. Jenny McCarthy way back. That's how I don't know. He started off on Singled Out on MTV. It's a long time ago. Yeah, that's the one. A long time ago, he was dating a girl called Chloe Dykstra. Uh, and she's the daughter of I forgot his first name, but um, a man who was the one of the lead special effects designers for Lucasfilm for many, many okay. years throughout the 70s. Oh, cool. So that's how she had geek cred starting off. Um, and he met her at a convention. She was in her early 20s. He was, you know, already in his 40s or early 40s. Uh, but they started dating. And so she just released this whole um, article, kind of like a journal thing on medium.com, talking about all the horrible things that he did while they were dating. Uh, basically, it's part of the Me Too movement now where he uh, manipulated her, would not let her see other people, would not let her call other people. Uh, if she wanted to take a picture, she had to get permission first. Um, she, every time she came home, he like basically would force her to have sex with him. She said, you have to have sex with me every time you come home. Um, sometimes she would cry during sex and he would make a joke out of it. Uh, a lot of terrible things. Um, there goes, wow. There's more in the article and it's just really depressing because of course I want to believe her because there's no reason she would lie about this stuff. It's not going to help her career to lie about this. Kind of thing. Um, I'm just hoping the beyond hope that he responds to it. Well, at least that's like the least I can hope for is that he doesn't you know, like deny everything, but maybe takes responsibility. Um, not that'll make anything better, but even behind right. me right now, in my studio, I have a triptych picture or three pictures of him, like pop art style um, signed by him. Uh, I got a, a birthday oh. gift from my mom a long time ago because she knows how much I loved his. I read his, his self-help book, listened to his podcast all the time. Uh, and so now I'm just like really kind of depressed about it. And I don't know what's going to happen. I, I think his he's been kicked off his podcast been going on for 10 years. Uh, wow, they're, they're about to have their thousandth so episode. So you're saying there's an opening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. They're just about to have their 1000th episode, like within a few episodes from now. Um, and so now That's he's incredible. not going to. Yep. So he's real good buddies with Jonah Ray, who's now the new host of uh, uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, okay. Um, that guy. Um, they, he's on the podcast all the time. They started the podcast together a long time ago with Matt Myra, another guy. But yeah, it's just really depressing. But Nerdist.com has separated from him because he since left the company a couple of years ago, the company he created. So Nerdist is still fine. It's going to be a good company to check out. Uh, web content and articles and stuff like that and podcasts but uh it's just really sad for me because he was one of my idols and now i found out he's gross and disgusting towards women and that's really depressing wow All right, a, well. a great factoid is he's now married to lydia hurst who is the uh heiress of the hurst family fortune hurst uh, newspapers and yeah. media um patty the, hurst, the, the villain story. from the villain from newsies go on yeah exactly <laughs> and basically the the from the Orson Welles movie. What's it called? The whole Rosebud thing. That was based off old Hearst as well. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Oh, Patty Hearst. The story of her was that she was the one who got kidnapped and got the Stockholm syndrome. Oh, yeah. Um, she was kidnapped just so she get a ransom, but then she fell in love with her captors. That's like that famous story. And so that's her, her mother. That classic uh, tale of love and guns. <laughs> exactly. So that's my <laughs> depressing nerdy news story. I hope you have something happier for us, Steve. Um, sure. Uh, <laughs> at least neutral. So uh, at least I have a witty name, and my witty name for my news this week is "You didn't see it coming." <laughs> uh, and coming. so, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, 
So this is not like sciencey. Like I don't do these kind of news stories. So I hope you're wow. excited. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson uh, announced and has made it known that uh, well, the, there's now been announced a sequel to Unbreakable called Glass. Yeah, I'm excited and, about that. And he's officially signed on. Uh, but he recently made it known that he did not know that M. Night Shyamalan had a sequel planned until he saw Split. Oh, so it wasn't in communication with him about it. No, it was just done and sort of, I guess, assumed he would be there. Or hoping he would, I guess. That's true. It'd be such. It'd, why would he turn it down? What would Samuel Jackson have to gain from turning it down? He isn't turned down work anyway. <laughs> he does everything. That's true. He at is him. always acting forever. <laughs> So then I was starting to think, I was like, oh, well, I didn't really realize that sequel was coming. So what other sequels are coming? <laughs> so I've got a few uh, interesting upcoming announced sequels by nice. studios. Uh, so Will Smith, we're taking it back to the early 2000s with iRobot 2 and Hancock 2. Really? Uh, from the world of comedy and who cares, it's Who Framed Roger Rabbit 2 and Dodgeball 2. The Who Frame Roger Rabbit one I'm interested in because that would be complicated. I guess they're going off the laurels of, uh, what's that guy? Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, it's true. And they can properties. do that, the way that they, they can do that stuff a lot easier now. Right. Mind you, I hope they wouldn't abandon it. The thing that made that movie magical was all the practical effects. Yeah. Um, and then there are actually four that are announced that I was actually pretty excited about and didn't know about until now. Uh, so Trick or Treat 2, which is Anna and I's like, favorite kind of like Halloween film. Never saw it. Not horror, but Halloween. Um, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters 2, which oh I, I love that movie. It I was love silly that pulp movie. fun. It was fine. I just think it got such a bad rap, and it was such a fun, fun movie. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, so it wasn't badly made. Uh, Constantine 2. Like the Keanu Reeves announced. Constantine? Yeah, the Keanu Reeves Constantine. But fans hated that one. Uh, and then Neil, Neil Blomkamp District 10 has apparently been announced. That one I'm interested in for sure. It was the the movie was so set up for a sequel. It hurt, and I was so sad when no one pursued it. Yeah, and I couldn't stand the movies he'd made since then. The what's that stupid robot one that was awful? Elysium was pretty bad. Chappie was okay. See, I liked it Elysium okay. Chappie, I just could not stand. <laughs> yeah, they were. We can all agree that he's just he's fallen short since the majesty that was District Nine. It was a beautiful movie. It was wonderful. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, you didn't see it coming. Like it, nice. Yeah. Uh, so I think that takes us into our first segment. Which is preternatural penetration. An ongoing segment where uh, I will talk about something paranormal, a true life story in quotations, uh, a alleged story that's happening in our world, not a fantasy or sci-fi story. And Stephen and talks I'm about how bullshit it is. that it's a fantasy and sci-fi story. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I recently been trying to like more gift stories that have some interesting things he can't really necessarily debunk, but they're just like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder oh. what that's about. You know, it's not like a, no one's making any crazy claims that are debunkable. They're just like, that's interesting. So, okay. Since our movie we're talking about later is Battlefield Earth, all about aliens and invasions. So and excited. Stuff, so stoked. I'm going to talk about one of my favorite UFO stories that I had. Out, I went to the old link for because I'd saved the link for it years ago. I thought it was so fascinating. Um, and the link was dead. So I had to search around for more details of this story. And I finally found another article on Mysterious Universe from 2012 talking about the same exact story. Um so basically, there's this researcher, Nick Redfern. He writes hundreds of books. He's great. Uh, British guy. He lives in Texas. And uh, he is really good at doing uh, Freedom, Freedom of Information Act requests for the government, where you have to word them so particularly well. Otherwise, they'll just pretend they can't find the files you're looking for. Like, they do that all the time. Right. So he's really good at wording it so they can't wiggle out of it. And they have to give them the files that are unclassified and available through these Freedom of Information Acts. Um so he found this file from 1954. If he didn't, then the person who originally found the story did. Uh, from a story in River Lagarfiat in Iceland. <laughs> so it's in August 1954. Okay. Uh, the Air Force files say around 9 p.m., a fast-moving, low-flying, gray-colored, and cylindrical-shaped UFO was seen in the vicinity of Elgesarder. <laughs> That's an Iceland name for you. By an individual at Hardebadol. A farm located near the junction of Lagerfjart and Fogotjort. We don't; these names aren't important. 
<laughs> so, That's true. They're not. It's found near a river in northeastern Iceland. So the event probably would have been dismissed, says Redfern, for lack of evidence, particularly since it took the witness a full week to summon the courage to tell the authorities were it not for one startling aspect of the story. And that's was the man saw the craft crash into the river. So this really interests U.S. military personnel who are around that area in Iceland. So they partner up with Icelandic military personnel and they joint go in there to search for this vehicle, for the craft that had crashed. Um, They were so interested in it that they started spending thousands and tens of thousands of dollars getting cranes and all this stuff to pull it, go out there to pull it out of the river because they couldn't find it. Um, but they saw evidence of where something had crashed and fallen in the water, but there was no vehicle to find. So the fun part is that it talks about how they can't quite get it. So they're going to bring in even more equipment and requisition more money from the government of Iceland and the U S and then the rest of the document is classified. Wow. So that's 1954. So we never find out what it is they found. If it was just like a Russian vehicle, like by now we feel like, wouldn't that be declassified? Cause who cares about 1954 technology, Russian vehicle that they found? Um, I don't know, but that's just an interesting story. I thought that was so fascinating that the governments were so keen on finding it that they were spending tens of thousands of dollars in the fifties to find this vehicle. And that's all on official government records that this actually happened. So I thought that was a cool story. Wow. All right. What do you think, Steve? So where did it crash again? Exactly. Like up in, you said Iceland, right? Yeah. uh, North Iceland or Northeastern Iceland. Yeah. A river. Okay. And can you give me the description? The guys that saw it say one more time, like their little yeah, report. Yeah, it's a fast-moving, low-flying, dark gray-colored and cylindrical-shaped UFO. So cylindrical-shaped and low-flying. I, I guess. So it's cylindrical-shaped. I only think of like and a missile. Is what away, I can think of for that, like a cylind- cylinder. And did it say how how far away from them it crashed? Like how far it traveled after they saw it? Um, the man who saw it. A farmer whose name was removed from the files told the Air Force as he watched the unknown craft on its flight path, it suddenly lost speed and slammed into and violently bounced across a sandbar on the river and quickly sank into the water. Okay. It's interesting. I mean, I guess. So once they got there, they said the river had risen twice and washed over the sandbar where the object reportedly landed, um, altering the size and shape of the sandbar. So they lost some evidence and had a hard time finding it, but... And then there's no record of anything actually being recovered, just that efforts were made. Efforts were made, and then the last thing in the document that's that's declassified is that they were going to requisition more money for more cranes, more vehicles to go in there and look even harder for it. And then the rest of the things to, is classified. Wow. I, I guess. The only options, I think, are two <sighs> options. It's some other military vehicle that they, for some reason, don't want to still declassify, like Russians or... Uh, somebody else, the fifties. I don't know who that would be around Iceland uh, besides the Russians or uh, alien spacecraft. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. In the fifties, I don't know. I, it's always the Russians. We're even like much involved with the Russians in the fifties. Not much, right? We hadn't started the cold war until the sixties, right? That's true. But they were still military stuff going on. They're still on. Russians. <laughs> yeah, they're still Russians. They still can't be trusted. Exactly. We have vehicle. We want to fly to Iceland, have vacation. <laughs> <laughs> See the beautiful sights. Oh, no. We crash in the river. <laughs> please help. <laughs> please. Please. Please send, please send help. <laughs> I am not the alien spacecraft. I'm Russian. <laughs> oh, I did not get the rental insurance. <laughs> That was a weird accent. <laughs> that was more like the Swedish chef or something. I tried to do Icelandic, kind of. Oh, the yeah. Icelandic? Like, like, yeah. Scandinavian. You thought crash in river. <laughs> Maybe it was a ferry boat. I am not going to get my deposit back. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> well, there's your preternatural penetration, folks. Norwegian aliens. That's what just happened. <laughs> hey, that's a thing, actually. It is. Norse aliens, the tall whites, they call them. It's not oh, racist at all. Oh, that's terrible. It is terrible. The tall whites. Are you kidding me? Of they're, course that's racist. They're Norse-looking aliens. That's a thing. <laughs> well, good impressions. Good impressions <laughs> and good preternatural penetration. Yeah, Steve didn't try to say it was total bunk this time. I mean, it's hard with that little, like, there's very little evidence. Like, the only evidence is that money was spent. 
which tells me that there was something there the government thought was worth it. Now, whatever the hell it was could be anything. True. That this report could have made to cover up or... Because gray cylinder could sound like a big rocket or uh, something like that. So, I don't know. Right, right. It could have been a rocket. It could have been, you know, something shot from the sea up, you know, near Iceland. You know, it could have been anything. But obviously, it was real if someone spent money on it. Right. And there's government uh, tracks to see that, that they did actually spend money on it. You know what? I bet you every single time that you read like a really suspicious thing about the money being spent in government, it's not like a big cover up. It's just some guy who stole it and took a vacation. <laughs> That's also very possible. Yeah, no, this uh, disc crashed and we had to spend 50000 But it costs only 200 to, to rent the crane. A, uh, no, no, no. It takes a lot more than that. But, but then another 10000 on personnel. <laughs> <laughs> Why was this money rerouted to Cancun? Oh, don't worry about that. Aliens. Aliens. <laughs> Russians. It was the Russians. The Russians. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. So that brings us into the inaugural run of To the Death. To the Death. Where we have chosen... Uh, a movie that is just hated, Battlefield Earth, and I don't hate it, and I have to now defend it before German. Aye, aye, aye. In the court of law. <laughs> That's my court of public opinion. That's right. Um, so yeah, I actually don't hate Battlefield Earth. I really think it's a much stronger film than a lot of people give it credit for. Truly. I don't know. And even just rewatching it before this, it really reaffirmed that like it has all the pieces of a good film. It has good a plot and B plot. They both feed into each other. Um, everybody has really clear motives. Uh, the, the story makes sense and the decisions characters make have both positive and adverse effects that they didn't see coming, which I really like for a plot. And I don't know. I, I truly don't think that it's that bad of a film. The one thing I will say is that it it is a half hour too long. Agreed. Um, but other than that, I think it's a perfectly fine movie. So, <laughs> I don't think I'd ever seen this movie all the way through before. I think it was on TV when I was a kid or something. I don't think I yeah, went to theaters. Uh, the, I will give you this. This is all I'm going to give you. The second half is much more coherent and better put together than the first half. Yeah, so the first half was just, from the get-go, so many edit cuts and wipes and they say there a, a lot line, of center wipes. And suddenly there are cuts a lot away. of center wipes. The center wipes get so annoying throughout this whole film. So the director might be at fault for some of these horrible cuts and just jarring things are making me dizzy and nauseous throughout the first half of the movie. His experience, he's known for being a set decorator on Star Wars, the first film. Uh, okay. The director of a film called Nostradamus that no one's seen. The second unit director for episode one, The Phantom Menace. That's right. And a movie and called. He was recommended by George Lucas for this movie. Was he? He was. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah, they made a mistake there. Uh, screenwriters <laughs> Corey Mandel, only for this movie and a movie called Love Kills. J.D. Sapiro. Oh, that sounds great. Who did Battlefield Earth and Robin Hood Men in Tights. Hey. So he goes from a goofy comedy that I love to Battlefield Earth. How dare they? Uh, <laughs> do we want to talk about the plot of this film? Yeah, I mean, we could talk through it. So, um, and actually, I will also say this. One of the other, like, big flaws with this movie, just from a plot perspective, is how far in the future they chose to set it. How far was it? In the year 3000. Yeah. So, like, a full recorded, like, you know, it's just impossible that, like, anything would be standing, that any of those cars would be there, that anything would still be around after a thousand years. If they had said it three or four or five hundred years, I think it might. the whole thing would have been much more realistic and approachable. I think all those buildings would still be up in a thousand years. I mean, look at what's still around from 3,000 years ago. That's true, but I don't Not know. Not quite as the good condition they were in in the movie, but they would still be around. Like, that's the thing. It, nothing was as crumbly as it should have been. I can agree with that. Let me put it, let me put it that I mean, Why am I defending I just it? Of course, that, you're right. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. Um, but yeah, just the setting of the year 3000 and like, another thing is, you know, the, the cyclos, the big baddies, 
uh, the film, you know, they've inhabited the world for a thousand years and been dealing with man for a thousand years, and yet they know nothing about man. The, the biggest thing, so nothing? we should say, because my comments about this, is that the point is that this thousand years future, the cyclos these have taken over the human race and enslaved them, yeah. killed most of them, and they're man animals, they call them. Man animals. Man animals. Man animals. And their big thing is their most valuable thing is gold. So they send all their all the gold they find in these planets throughout the universe and send them back to their home planet because they're like a big corporation planet. Um, and yeah. they're real tall, Klingon-looking type people. Yeah, some of them gruff. And, and actually, one of the subtleties I really like is that you can see there's clearly like two classes, but they don't point it out or rub it in your face. Because you notice that all the guys who are like dealing directly with the man animals, man animals, and and like down in the pits are all much more thuggish and animal looking versus the John Travolta character, and like the Forrest Whitaker character that are much more because they wanted them to be seen and are and are the and are the administrators. Um, you see it similarly with uh, when they meet with the other administrators when he says he's going to stick them on the planet for another fifty cycles. That's, I guess he was a little more human looking. Yeah, 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 and and some of and the guys with him, like his, the the account the 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 cronies that came with him, were also more slim faced and pretty. Because the guy who's in charge of Earth guys. looks like a monster. <laughs> That's true, and as they get older, like you saw the guy with like all the chins, it was just incredible. Um, they have like yeah, like Baron Harkonnen from uh, Dune. But yeah, I, I just thought it was a cool, subtle thing to actually see them do, whether it was purposeful or not. I think it was very, very, I think it was effective. I thought it's because they were, they were divas and wanted their faces to be seen. And that's very possible. But even so, it's still like, even if it was a mistake, it still works. Right. For your, your reasonings, it works. <laughs> yeah. And it added to the film, ultimately. Sometimes mistakes are the best part. So the part of that I was bringing up is that, yeah, they've been on Earth so long for a thousand years mining gold and they hadn't bothered to look up where the main gold deposit was in the, in the United States continent. <laughs> like it's in Fort Knox. Yeah, yeah. They did no research before they showed up. They just busted the joint. Right. It was all collected right there in Fort Knox. They never bothered to find out, search our internet systems. Nothing <laughs> like makes no sense. No one's learned how to speak their language. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, so that that's another reason that setting it a thousand years in the future makes it just, one one of the points of the film where I'm like, uh, all right, you chose wrong. And they're so bad at security. Like one guy instantly gets one of their guns and kills them. Two of them. It's like how, so a thousand years you've gotten, you're still this bad at protecting yourselves. How'd you survive this long? That's true. Well, I think the idea is that man animals that they have have been in captivity. Man animals. Man animals. They're like right. broken animals at the zoo versus the wild one they just captured. Like the guy who's going, hoo, 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 like a monkey. Yeah. Basically. That's that, that mopey zoo lion. Uh, but yeah, man animals are very much that. And I did like the character characterization of that with um, the more primate kind of aspect of some of their communication. Right. And the, and the, the later on piece of cake, piece of cake. Yeah. Piece of cake. I was like, they don't even uh, know what cake is. <laughs> right, but I just, I love that it became even the same, just became a battle chant for him. They said it like a salute almost. And I thought that was really fun and endearing. This is like so much. Along the lines of a big floppy epic like West uh, Waterworld and The Postman, I'm like, why do you like this and not The Postman or Waterworld? Um, because honestly, this one, I'm not kidding when I say that the the characters interact really well. They're, the A and B plot drive each other, and that's brilliant. The A plot being the you know uh, what the hell's his name? Johnny Goodboy is actually his name. <laughs> oh, his character's name. Uh, Played by the what's his name Pepper something Barry Pepper, um, and and the human uprising and them and then the B plot of John Travolta and him getting stuck there and him trying to find his way out and using man animals and then them using him and like everything real like as far as the plot and everything goes it was very well put together film well and just with lots of plot holes of course like why are you putting so much trust into these these animals who obviously want to race against you and the smartest one who's the most defiant, you give the most knowledge so he can possibly kill you. <laughs> like that made no sense to me whatsoever. That one does seem to be unusually intelligent and resourceful, but it's also defiant. True. He infuses him with knowledge. He's like, Oh, you're really defiant and, and spunky. I'm going to give you more tools to take me down. Yeah, true. Um, and also I just wrote that my notes. It's like, this is 
one of the most horrible B action movies I've ever seen. As far as the cutting, the sound design was really bad at times too. Like, whoa, like and just jarring. Um, but with occasional very pretty shots. So I'll give them that. Like, especially like just the production design and the, the shots, the costumes, everything was very meticulously done. You can tell. It's just that it was just so I think the directing and editing was just so jarring well, it's that it was this this cinematographer. Right. Uh I can't remember. Uh, did everything in for film majors uh, Dutch angles where the camera is set off angle and then the actor is put in at a jutting angle into the frame so that everything is kind of skewed. Right. And in some movies, in some cases, it's very effective to offset you as an audience or to make you feel uneasy. But they did it for like everything that wasn't a wide shot was a Dutch angle and it made the whole movie really goofy. And the cinematographer <laughs> claimed later on that uh, he wanted the whole thing to feel like a comic book. And that, <laughs> that was the reason he did all the Dutch angles. That kind of makes sense. Of it. But, but if you love Dutch angles and feeling uneasy while watching a film, you're going to love Battlefield. That's probably why I was nauseous for the first half of the movie. Cause they kept cutting so fast with the Dutch angles. Like, <laughs> I can't. Yeah. yeah. But he's gotten um, better. He's done a, he did a hell or high water. He was the, cinematographer for that that was a great movie oscar nominator nomination from last year speaking of oscar nominations uh barry pepper has been in a ton of stuff he's been a working actor forever he carries the through line of the film so you can say whatever you want about travolta but travolta's character disappears for huge chunks of the movie he carries he was it. trying the hell out of that uh, acting for sure and he's been in tons of highly recognized and oscar winning films including the green mile saving private ryan seven pounds true grit uh he's an emmy winner uh, he's a Critics' Choice winner, so like he's he's a tried and true actor, and he really holds the movie. Well, you could tell Truly, he was really he trying. Like I give him that. <laughs> but even so, I believe that um, the su- the the supporting cast they gave him was also spectacular. Um, let me Whoa, see if I can was find spectacular. Him. Sure. <laughs> no, Kim Coates. Look him up. Kim Coates is a working actor that has been in a ton of stuff, including. Uh, if you look at his resume, it's just incredible. He was also in Waterworld, but that's not the point. Uh, <laughs> He's been in 135 um, films or TV series. Yeah, look up Kim Coates. He, you, you will recognize him from something. And he is a great character actor, and he acts the hell as a, like the, the right-hand man to Johnny Goodboy. Um, and the, the redhead guy with the bomb at the end, like that was a really, you know, following the death of his brother, and you get, get to see him and he latches on that. It was actually a really nice moment. That he was the one that got to blow it. I just thought none like, of it was it, earned, and like this, the the moments between them were so cheesy, and felt like they were written by like a twelve year old pubescent boy most of the time. The way they talk about women and like the just like uh, I, <laughs> I know, but the, think of it this way, um, you know, they the, the whole thing was that they were trying to show they really were man animals, mm-hmm. man animals, man animals, like they really were not us they were kind of a step down for normal for obvious reasons um and i thought that they they did a good job i think by simplifying the language a lot and making it much more primal i can see what you're talking about they're kind of like because you're right there are a few times they're talking about the women right um but at the same time if we went back to like a more tribal society that might be the reality like i I just thought it was some, uh, it was a choice. I think uh, maybe it wasn't the right choice, but I think it was something they did purposefully. I think least. Barry Pepper was fine, but I think any number of actors could have played that role fine as well. That's true. The person who stood out for me was Forrest Whitaker. I thought he was the most natural person, character uh, of performance in that entire film. He felt like he was in that world. He was in that character. It didn't feel forced, or the lines didn't feel as cringy and terrible when he was saying them. Um, Every time he was on screen or there was a scene between him and John Travolta, like I actually enjoyed it. I like I was having an okay time because he was just uh I, he he felt like one of those aliens. He felt like he was there was Travolta was just like Jesus. He was like chewing the scenery basically. <laughs> but I mean but yeah, I, I did enjoy <laughs> Forrest Whitaker in this actually. It was one of my things I like. I've been thinking eighty twenty is a pretty fair distribution of the goal. But I should get the eighty percent. And with my share I'm going to fire all my wives and buy new ones. <laughs> Maybe pretty ones this time. <laughs> Kurt Bango. 
<laughs> Congratulations. You finally learned how to get proper leverage over someone, haven't you? Uh-huh. Which means that I haven't wasted my time trying to train you, have I? He did have some, we'll say, grandiose moments out of <laughs> his nowhere. His high, piercing voice, like, it's just not, not intimidating. Yeah, where he would just laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and their giant moon boots that they wear so they can be taller than everybody else. <laughs> so, where do, did we actually make it through the plot? Probably not. Not really. <laughs> we derailed. Uh, so Johnny Goodboy, he, uh, he lives with his mountain tribe uh, who are sick or his dad was sick and dies and he like blames the gods and he decides to leave one day to go find the gods. Um, and he runs into these two guys who go to sh- who want to show him the demons, uh, which are the cy- cyclos. Uh, he gets captured. Him and one of the guys get captured. They get taken to this big like human prison camp. Turns out cyclos keep humans there, keep them working. Uh John Travolta is the administrator of this camp. He slept with like a senator's daughter or something. Yeah. Is that right? That's something like uh, that. And is now stuck at this planet. He's been parked there because he pissed off the wrong guy. But he's too efficient uh, so, to just like kill or fire. But yeah. Right, right. He, he was supposed to be like, he, he basically frames like he was top of his class. He's got great bloodlines. He should be the next leader of the corporation. He's stuck there. Um, so he decides that he's going to try to steal a bunch of gold. But he doesn't know how he's going to do it without the company. And then he thinks, oh, my God, bam, we'll train man animals to mine gold for us. And then there's no evidence because they're man animals. Man right? animals. Man um, and then his plan is that he's going to ship it back in coffins and then go and dig up the graves on Cyclo, which I thought that was like morbid and very appropriate for his character. Didn't even catch that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the end, when he's loading in gold bars he's loading them in with a dead body i did see that but i didn't realize what the point of that was <laughs> yeah, yeah. Catch that. his plan is to to ship them all back and then go and dig up the graves oh. uh, <laughs> so he finds one that he thinks is you know smarter than the rest and jarman's right he's like the he admits he's defiant and spunky but then gives him the the tools he needs to destroy them <laughs> exactly um him and his band, he gets put into it like a knowledge machine that that gives him all this knowledge instantly, including math and language and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and he starts teaching the others. He agrees to mine the gold for uh, John Travolta's character. So John Travolta character and Force Breaker take them out, dump them in the middle of the mountains, and say like, "Go mine this gold and give them equipment and ships and leave them on their own." After teaching him how to fly we'll be, that ship. <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks. So uh, Johnny Goodboy has a plan. And his plan is that he is going to, um, they're going to find gold because he knows where they have it. Fort Knox. I think it's Fort Knox, yep. right? Kentucky. Uh, Fort Knox. So instead of mining gold, they're going to go and get that gold and then have time to go and try to find weapons and things they need for their revolution. Including learning how, going from cavemen to learning how to fly fighter jets in 14 days. That's right. <laughs> I think that that was an, I think that that was an easy hole they could have fixed. How so? So I think it could have easily been fixed if, um, you know, they had the knowledge machine earlier. Right. All they had to do is portable knowledge machine. Exactly. That would make a lot more sense. Go, and then suddenly they could import that and then they're practicing on the simulator. Like that would be the natural progression, and they kind of skipped it. Instead, they went from cavemen to fighter jet pilots. <laughs> right, right. Um, so they they get the gold. Um, they get the gold out of Fort Knox. Uh, they go and they get munitions and fighter jets, and they train in like a week. They train on fighter jets. Charmin's right. That's a little bit ridiculous. The timeline's <laughs> crazy. Um, and then uh, John Travolta's character comes back. He's like, where's my gold? And they show him they've got bars. And he is just blown away that they had time to smelt the ore into bars. Well, since you rat brains have had enough extra time to smelt it into bricks. I will now expect the rest of the gold in seven days. And this is what I was talking about, where the, there's like real consequences to the protagonist's plan. Because his plan was to do that to keep the cycle off him. And then John Travolta says, fine, now you only have a week since you did this so quickly. Get me twice so as much in a t- week or something like that. Right, right. And so their timeline's cut. So now they have to, to finish the revolution. Somewhere in there, they get a nuclear bomb. Right. They go to Fort Hood, Texas, and go to the uh, the the cache, I guess, so you say, of, of yes. weapons that are there. <laughs> That's where they find one nuclear warhead, which they arm, because they claim that on the Cyclo planet, he knows this from the knowledge machine, that if a nuclear bomb goes off there, it'll, it'll interact with their environment 
and blow up the entire planet because of their yeah, their air's different. Cyclos are very very adverse to to radio to like uh, radio waves and um and like uh, radiation, right? But even low level radiation. Um, so that uh, so because of that, that's actually what uh, they expl- in the book, uh, Johnny Goodboy. Uh, that's why his people have been safe so long is because they live amidst all of these decaying nuclear warheads that are stored in the mountains. Oh, that's good. But that's also what's making them sick. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's just in the book. They don't really bring that in here. It makes sense. Um, so they start the revolution early. Their plan is to blow up the dome covering the, the, their, the cyclos installment, suffocate all of them, and then send a nuclear weapon through. Yeah, because they can't breathe our air, period. They have to have their own little thing about it. It's poisonous gem, just like theirs is to us. Um, The revolution ensues. Some characters we know die. Uh, The guy who's supposed to be setting off the bomb ends up not being able to time it and then has to go through the teleporter with it. Right. And I was mentioning that was like a nice moment because really with his brother dying, he was the one, the one character that had any retribution to be gained. Like that was very well set up in my opinion. Sure. Uh, On a basic level. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they break the dome. The cyclos get drowned out. Uh, the nuclear weapon ends up, like, destroying the cyclo planet entirely. Right. Not just a giant blow, but, like, entirely. Well, that's what he says early on. He's like, it'll destroy their whole planet because it'll interact with their gases and just blow up everything. Yeah. yeah. In the book, and mind you, I didn't read the book. I read about how the story differed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, it's that uh, the cyclos have mined their own planet so heavily that the nuclear explosion like breaks the planet. That uh, makes sense. Um, but then all of their other outposts, when they try to teleport uh, supplies from the home world, from Cyclo, it teleports like radioactive death matter to their other sites. Oh. So effectively Johnny Goodboy wipes out and decimates the entire Cyclo in the book empire. Yeah. Cause at the end of this movie, he basically says that now he knows those other outposts will come looking for them. So he keeps uh, John Travolta as a prisoner in the middle of uh, Fort Knox amongst all the gold. Uh, just so he has to, as that leverage. He's so coveted. Right. Which is a beautiful juxtaposition. Just beautiful. And then uh, Forrest Whitaker decides to be their, their token uh, cyclo and stay on with them and let them tell him what to do. He betrays. And help them with cyclo tech right. and that kind of stuff. Betrays this whole race. He's happy about it. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's thrilled. Um, no, but I, I, as I, even as I talk through it, I don't think this is that bad of a film. It's long. It's a little bit self-indulgent towards Travolta. He had maybe a little bit too much say in the film or too much sway. Um, but otherwise, it's a perfectly fine The movie. idea and the basic story is fine. I like the idea and the basic story. It's just executed, I think, painfully. Um, and I don't feel that way about many movies. I just i'm not the problem is with editing is that you shouldn't see it or think about it same thing with cinematography or sound design the point of it is to move you and to engage you without you knowing it's doing it and i was constantly being taken out of this movie by the jump to sharp edits that came out of nowhere like before their lines even finished out of their mouth it's cutting to something else or doing a center wipe over and over and over again (laughs) and then just the lines being so cheesy and uh, saying things that don't make any sense and plot holes. Um, but yeah, the story, great. Yeah, right. Bring it on, plot holes. <laughs> the story was fine. The I like the idea. It could be redone probably really well, but I don't think it ever will. <laughs> Let's hope that doesn't happen. But just like Postman has a great story and a great uh, idea. It's a half hour too long. Um, but it's, I think, a much more well put together film than this one. Uh, I think it's fine. I think it's a really fine film. Do you have any final points about why it's a terrible movie? Because I haven't heard anything that's changed my mind. I ain't going to change your mind, just like you wouldn't change my mind about The Postman. But uh, I just think this is <laughs> technically a very poorly made film. Um, but that's that's the worst part of it. Uh, so uh, I just want to go over some facts sure. about this movie. So uh, for a long time, this movie shared the record for the most Razzies. <laughs> With who? With showgirls, with showgirls. Uh, so even though, and here's a, a fun, another cool fact, even though showgirls had like almost double the nominations for the Razzies, uh, Battlefield Earth won in every single category it was nominated in. Wow. <laughs> That's right. And Barry Pepper maintains that had he known he was going to win Worst Supporting Actor, he would have shown up and accepted the award, but he did not know it was happening. Oh, <laughs> 
so it has been beaten out since uh, by I Know Who Killed Me, I believe. Um, but it received an extremely prestigious Razzie in 2010 for being the worst film of the decade. Wow. 2000 to 2009. And I like to point out this movie came out in the year 2000, which means that nine years of movies came out after this that did not beat this out. <laughs> nine years worth of films came out after this and couldn't do it. Uh, and a uh, fun, fun quote. Uh, this movie was once called the Schindler's list of sci-fi films by John Travolta. <laughs> of course. <laughs> It's a quote from him on the red carpet leading up to the movie. <laughs> wow. You know what made this movie so much better? What? If it was Muppets Battlefield Earth. Dude, you could, could you see Fozzie as like Forrest Whitaker's character? That'd and then, be yeah. so sweet. And just not taking it as seriously, but still have the fun story and, and like, it could be great. <laughs> Who would play John Travolta's character? Oh, Miss Piggy. Miss Piggy would play John Travolta's character. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Johnny Good bold, Boy's Kermit. Bold move. <laughs> Johnny Good Boy's Kermit. That makes sense. Uh, his like accomplice would probably be Rizzo or maybe Gonzo. <laughs> I love it already. It's great. Uh, the Kel- the Celts would be. You'd have to either go with the pigs or uh, the rats. One of the two. Maybe penguins. Even yeah. the chickens. I'm trying to think of what group, what like groups of of puppets they have. <laughs> um, and all the the band would be uh, the um, lower level cyclos. That's right. We am is R and B Doctor Teeth in the Electric Mayhem. <laughs> Pleasure to make my acquaintance. And you could have Sattler and Waldorf be the delegation that comes from the planet together. <laughs> <laughs> You're staying here forever. <laughs> <laughs> you slept with the Senator Stutter. <laughs> Perfect. But no, I I think it's perfectly fine film. Check it out internet tell us what you think yes i think it's perfectly fine german thinks otherwise but that's okay you can be wrong that's right you can be wrong too that's right i could but i'm not so join us next time we have one of these segments for two to the the death when german is going to have to defend an equally terrible film so we're going to do things a little bit out of order instead of moving into uh we're going to bump up radical recommends which typically come right before the end of the show so german will play that intro here If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. (laughs) Um, So the reason I bumped up Radical Recommends is because I decided to do do our second bit about the thing I'm going to radically recommend. And that is uh, our daughter, Joyce, recently uh, was introduced to the Disney movie Moana. Mm -hmm. Have you seen Moana? Of course. She is obsessed it's her first just Disney obsession yeah it really is like uh we, we've tried other things like i bought the lion king the other day thinking like she loves animals and she loves music it'll be great she did not care she'd not give a crap <laughs> you put moana on she will she will sit quietly in front of the tv for an hour that's amazing just staring up and she sings along with the song she knows the characters she knows like when the pig is in trouble there's a pig. She goes, oh, no, piggy. I remember the chicken. Yeah, I don't there, there's, the a, there's a pig on the island that doesn't go on the adventure with her. Oh, gotcha. Um, And she just loves it. And we honestly, Anna and I, we, we have not hated watching it because we also love the music and we love the story uh, and how independent Moana is and how it's not hinged on like the standard a princess to say like we, we love that aspect of it. We sing along with the songs. Um, and so I decided to look up Maui and see how Disney-fied it was. The Maui culture? Uh, the, the Maori, Maori? The, uh, no, 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 Maui. The, the, oh. the, the character in their, in, in their mythology. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, uh, who is played by The Rock in the movie, or Dwayne Johnson, whatever. <laughs> uh, but, but Maui, who is a demigod and trickster, um, and in some, some cultures has three brothers, some cultures is one of four. They're all made named Maui something. Um, but Maui actually stretches across all of these different cultures, Hawaiian, Samoan, um, what else? Oh, Lordy. Probably Maori too. Uh, Tahitian, Maori. Like, so th- this one character spans over all these island cultures. And for the movie, they kind of took pieces of different ones hmm. and used sort of the best of, um, 
then he mentioned him in the movie, uh, Maui was like a notoriously terrible fisherman. <laughs> and he convinced all of his brothers to take him out one day. And he's like, oh, I got a giant fish. You got to row real like crazy. But he had a magic fish hook, which is also called out in the film. And he put it on his line and he's, I got a big one row. And they rowed and didn't look back. And he tricked them into pulling up the Hawaiian Islands. Huh. And he did it multiple times. That's the best part. He tricked them like six times. So then finally, on the last time, he was going to pull up uh, land under the islands that was going to unite them all into one big island. And his brothers were rowing and he was pulling it up. And his mom saw what he was doing and knew that he had to be stopped. So she got into the she she turned into a drinking gourd, which ended up in the boat. And then all of a sudden turned into this gorgeous woman. And all of Maui's brothers lost concentration and looked back at her and the, the rowing stopped and the, the, the land sunk and Maui missed his one big chance to unite the islands of Hawaii. They were lusting after their mom. Well, no, no, no. She transformed. I know. Into like a, gor- was, into a gorgeous a, woman. Still their mom. Yeah, but she she's a goddess, though. Like she transformed. <laughs> she wasn't their mom in that. I mean, she was still their mom, but they didn't know them, that it was, was their mom, but it's just gross that they actually were lusting after their mom. <laughs> Charmin, you're missing the point. Don't the tell your yet. daughter that part. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, the other thing about Maui that was interesting, most of these is that most of the history is that the great things he did that that man like worships him for weren't things he did for us. They are things that he did and the byproducts benefited man. Interesting. But he still gets worship for him. Uh, so in the movie, they talk about how he uh, he pulled this uh, pulled the sun down and it made it agree to to have longer days. They mentioned that in the song. You're welcome. Uh, well, that did happen, but it's because his mom was complaining about how long her clothing was taking to dry because the sun wasn't up very long. So he went up to this big mountain. He lassoed the sun, pulled it down and made the sun agree to make the days longer and brighter. How convenient. Which then benef- which then benefited man. But he didn't do it for man. Did it for his mama. Uh, same thing about uh, the, there was a giant eel named Tuna who attacked his, his mom, who uh, later became his wife. Just like any mythology, everyone marries their mom. <laughs> um, oh, God. Uh, she attacked his mom twice, and finally he wasn't having it. And he went down, and he killed this giant eel, and then buried it. And then out of where its body was came the first palm tree, and then the first coconuts which ended up being a major sustenance for the island people and got Maui even more worship, but he didn't do it for them. He did it because the thing attacked his mom wife. Wait, when did she become his wife? I don't know. Somewhere in here, they got married. I told you they were lusting after their mom. <laughs> but they, but it was the brothers. I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> but yes, just as I said, just like any mythology, everyone wants to be with their mom. It's just a weird theme that comes up over and over again in mythology. Creepy. So, Maui, after doing all these great deeds, and he's really like a very powerful demigod now, decides that he hates that man suffers and dies, so he's going to win immortality for mankind. Uh, and the way he, he has to do this is he has to sneak through this, I think, goddess that guards death uh, and get past her without her waking up in order to, to steal this thing, I believe. Uh, so the way, But the way he has to do this is she's sleeping, and she has a giant vagina portal with all these jutting rocks and, and, and these crystal formations. It's basically a big cave that he has to crawl through, go up through her body and come out through her mouth on the other side without waking her up. There was something similar to that Moana, right? I know. Not <laughs> well, vagina God, wise, I, but I like hope a, not. a giant woman that he has to, they interact with. Uh, kind of, I guess. I mean, to some extent, maybe. Well, she's like, yeah. she is the land and she wakes up. No, 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 up. you're, you're, you're right, but that is not this story. Right. I thought maybe it was just derived from that story and made a little less uh, it's possible. So he's halfway in to this vagina portal. When one of his brothers starts laughing his ass off, the, the goddess wakes up and closes her legs and the thing and he, he's cut in half in her vagina. <laughs> uh, but because he failed, mankind is doomed to mortality for all time. Hmm. Because Maui failed us. And that that killed him? Yeah, it killed him. So he died because in a vagina. Half of him, yes. <laughs> what a horrible uh, end then, to Maui. Uh, and but then uh, another kind of fun fact in the Tahitian lore, uh, Maui is was simply known as a wise man and a prophet who became deified after he was the first person credited with making fire from sticks. Nice. 
which I think is probably a much more realistic basis for someone becoming a deity is this guy actually did do something great. Maybe it was a real guy at some point for the people. And then the story just exploded. Right. So maybe it was a real person at some point. Yeah. Another part of the, the Maui legend is that he stole fire from the underworld and brought it to mankind. Right. Uh, but yeah, Maui, uh, I highly recommend check it out. I don't like most Disney stuff, but it really grabs you and it's got a really good story, a good message, great music. I highly recommend Maui. And that's my radical recommend for the week. You highly recommend Moana. Moana. Right. <laughs> Whatever. Maui, Moana. So, from- Whatever my daughter calls it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. So my radical recommend is kind of like a half recommend of a lot of things. Uh, it'll make sense in a second. But okay. basically I wanted to make, watch a lot more uh, of the Oscar movies that came out in the last couple of years. I have all the ones I haven't seen yet kind of like marked out uh written down and so first watch the post which was uh the spielberg one that was the oscar contender recently with meryl streep and uh, tom hanks talking about the pentagon papers that came out after vietnam uh right it was very passable film you know technically fine <laughs> nothing that crazy wonderful about it <laughs> don't recommend Fair. necessarily uh watch the florida project earlier tonight with my family actually uh and that was one of all about uh, this hotel in near Disney in Orlando. Um, and it's weird seeing lots of landmarks throughout Orlando that I grew up with. And Willem Dafoe stars in that as the manager of this hotel. And it's kind of like not, not much of a plot to the film. It's just more of like following these kids and the people who live there and seeing a slice of their life. And it was very interesting. I mostly recommend that one. It's not like also okay. not fantastic and wonderful. But the best one I've seen so far, the big batch I've been watching is I, Tanya which really surprised me. Um, okay. I wasn't that interested in it before because I'm like, I, I know the story pretty well about Tanya Harding and, um, and what she did, the, the ice skating and the hitting of the right. well, her name now suddenly. Um, but it was just so good. Margot Robbie was much better than I expected. It was really funny and fun and interesting and based off real events. So it was just great cast. So worth watching. I Tanya and for the project kind okay. of, and the post, you can miss it. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll quote you on that. Absolutely. And I think that brings us to some trailer reviews. Here at A Play on Nerds, we have spent years refining our exclusive trailer rating system. At the low end of the scale, we have Don't Waste a Match. This movie is so bad that I wouldn't waste a single match to burn it. Fahrenheit 451 style. And second from the bottom, we have We'll See. Maybe the trailer was too short. Maybe it was cut oddly. Or maybe we don't know what the hell we just watched. Eh, we'll see. Up next, we have Give It a Buck. Whether you hit a red box, a dollar movie theater in the bad part of town, or a cheap online rental, give this movie a buck and enjoy it without breaking the bank. And at the top of our rating system, we have Shut Up and Take My Money. The wallets have been charmed out of our pockets, and we are ready to make our hard-earned cash disappear. And that's our patent-pending trailer rating system for A Play on Nerds. So our trailer reviews this week is uh, subtitled Bumbo. 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 And why, why is that, Steve? Because we are reviewing two very weird and diametrically opposed films, the new Bumblebee standalone picture and Dumbo. The live-action live Disney with uh, what Colin Farrell. Yes. Uh, which one do you want to review? Which one are you going to do first? I'll jump into Dumbo. Uh, it goes in a long line of all these live action remakes they're making at Disney for their um, old animated films, which they're mostly not even live action because they're mostly CGI, like the Jungle Book. and Right, to uh, do the major characters, it has to be CGI. Right, even Beauty and the Beast. The Beast is all CGI. Like in this one, Dumbo is all CGI. Uh, and that's why they're going to do every single one of them. Exactly. <laughs> and it looks fine. Um, it looks very pretty. I think it's associated with Tim Burton. I don't think he was directing it, but he's definitely producing it. Something like that. Okay. Uh, so that's some Tim Burton-y feel to it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, it, there, there's very serious trailer trying to like really pull at your heartstrings for Dumbo. Yeah. And the, and the movie, the, the really sweet song from the original kind of played in there in a new way. And right. Yeah, you're right. All the tugging on those nostalgia strings. But I didn't remember the film being that serious or like emotional, the first film, but maybe it was. Yeah, I there remember. are some really sad moments. Uh, so what do you think of the trailer? Um, 
I don't know. I, in my opinion, unless I see Jiminy Cricket, it's not it's not really Dumbo. So Jiminy Cricket was in uh, Dumbo. No, wait. Yeah, he was in Pinocchio. No, Pinocchio. <laughs> Did he have a sidekick in Dumbo? I'm so tired. <laughs> he probably had a sidekick. I've been up for 15 hours already. <laughs> oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> well, you're almost ready for bed. Um, Jiminy Cricket. Well, <laughs> you better be in there anyway. I expect that fucker. <laughs> Just push him in that movie. <laughs> Get him in there, little fucker. If I saw a dare somewhere, um, some other people I recognize. Are they? Do you think they're gonna? Do you think they're gonna have the crows like the racist oh, ass crows? So. That's terrible. I, I I hope they don't get rid of them, but I hope that they just don't. They just do them do right. something completely. Make them different. not racist. But uh, <laughs> right, right. But I hope that they don't just ignore it or cut them because to not admit that they're there is almost as that makes stupid. Sense, yeah. Uh, I put this as somewhere between give it a buck and wouldn't waste a match because I'm just like, eh. Uh, I'm gonna give it give it give it a buck because if it's something Joyce will watch, like that's that 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 might be one of my new ratings. You're, you're the child to think about. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's something right. Joyce will watch. It's a whole different category. <laughs> um, so yeah, I might rent it or something or find it a cheap download online. Yeah, that makes sense. Let me tell you something. A driver don't pick the car. Car pick the drive. It's a mystical bond between man and machine. It's a mystical bond between man and machine. Who are you? Do you speak? Who are you? You got people out there who need you. This is why you're here, B. You know, B music can help you say what you're feeling. Try this. Uh, so the second one is a Bumblebee standalone with ha- uh, Haley Steinfeld, kind of out of nowhere in the lead, and it, it's I think a prequel to the Transformer films we know. I think it seems it looks like it takes place maybe the eighties or nineties. Hmm. I didn't. I didn't notice that. What maybe what Bumblebee was doing before he got messed up with Shia LaBeouf? Right. I think I don't know. I could have misread the trailer entirely, or there could be something in it that completely opposes that. Was Bumblebee his car in Shia LaBeouf's movie? Yeah, he uh, Shia, Bumblebee was his protector. Oh, I didn't realize that was the same Transformer because it was a different shaped car. Right, but they can transform into anything. Like he right. went from the like a piece of shit to like a not hot new Camaro in a second. So, right. I think this looks a lot like the first one, the same kind of feel. And I really enjoy the first Transformers movie. I thought it was just fine and, and fun and a good ride and good moments between Shia LaBeouf and back when he was still likable. So I think it's great. The girl is a lead, and it's more back to the old way those movies felt instead of huge CGI explosions. I hope there's more Decepticons involved. Like we got to see what I presume is Starscream. Well, if it's a prequel, have the Decepticons even arrived yet? Yeah, they've they both both Decepticons and Autobots have been on Earth for a long time. Oh, okay. But yeah, so you get to see Starscream, um, but uh, you know you don't get to see anyone else. So I'll be interested to see if they include more and they're just not showing us, or if there's some other element we're missing entirely. I will say for recommendation as well for anyone who hasn't watched already the the toys that made us the documentary series on Netflix. Oh, uh, the one on Transformers is spectacular. It's great. Definitely watch it. I didn't know that much about Transformers before, but now I do. It's great. Yeah, but yeah, I'll give this one a we'll see. I don't know. I'm not going to go see this. Yeah, I can tell you that much. Yeah, I put give it a buck because I you know watch it on Netflix or something. And I like Haley Steinfeld. Yeah, she seems like I hope. I hope- I hope this movie doesn't bring her down. What was she in before? Uh, pitch Perfect, True Grit. She's oh, kind she's of the like Pitch a, Perfect girl. I remember that. Yeah, she's kind of she's in vogue right now. Right. She was the new the new pledge in the first. Pitch yes, Perfect she was. Movie. There you go. Or the second. Oh, was it the second movie? Yeah, I don't think she was in the original. I got confused. Yeah, they're all basically the same thing. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's been trailer reviews. Yeah. Nothing too spectacular. We're mildly optimistic. So if everything goes according to plan, folks, next week, 
we will be having a live recorded episode. We had some difficulties today with the setup, but I have a mixer and everything. So where we're going to be recording and it'll be all the sound effects we played live. So basically I can cut the episode and it'll get like it out a to radio you real fast. show, like a radio show. So there will mistakes will be in there. You'll hear dogs barking occasionally, but we're going to run with it. We'll be better um, improvising and going over those things. But basically you'll get episodes a lot faster because of this. That's our goal. So we'll see how that that goes. Maybe we'll get to 100 sooner than we think. Absolutely. And it won't be this episode, but next episode will sound a little different, but hopefully just as good. Thank you for being. All right, Jarman, do we have a thank you section? We do not. <laughs> well, fuck you, Internet. <laughs> fuck you. We th- I thought we were cool. But nah. Oh, I just should think. Uh, I think nah, it's our fault. We we haven't been posting a whole lot. We haven't. We haven't been releasing this. Now that hopefully we'll be back on a better schedule, we'll be we'll get some more answers. Right, and we we, we owe it to our fans. We were mentioned, I think, by the uh, either Rusted Robot or Soulforge podcast. I apologize, I don't remember which one because I've been listening to so many podcasts that it kind of runs together now. <laughs> but uh, once we're up and running again, more weekly or biweekly at least, um, we'll have more contact with our fans and hopefully you with us. And we'll hopefully be talking to you all soon. Tell us how you liked Battlefield right. Earth. Thank you for joining us for the inaugural run of To the Death. Uh, if you keep coming back for more nerdy fun, we will keep coming back to be your nerdy hosts. As always, thanks again, Internet. Stay nerdy, my friends. Thanks for listening to A Play on Nerds. Find all of this content and even more nerdy news, reviews, and fun at www.aplayonnerds.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so you know the exact second we release new podcasts, articles, and other nerdy content. We know you're impatient. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Buzzsprout, Podomatic, and whatever the hell else you use. Also, please leave us a rating and review on your chosen podcast platform so we can be discovered by even more nerds like yourself. However you do it, check us out. And how. How.